G'day and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 807. This is my interview with Dr. Stan Steindl, and we're talking about motivational interviewing. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, what's cracking? How are you? I hope you're well, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having a lovely day, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Guys, as always, I appreciate you coming on and uh, listening in to my episodes here at The Hidden Why, whether it's one of the interviews like today or one of my solo rants, maybe even one of the book reflections. I would love to hear from more of you and get more of your feedback. So guys, if you love any of the episodes you're listening to, particularly, you know, they stand out and you really resonated with one of them, um, you can do a couple of things. Leave us a comment um, in the show notes at thehiddenwhy.com or uh, maybe even on Facebook as well, just so we get some feedback and understand what you guys are really enjoying that we're putting out there. Also, you can leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already done so. That just helps us uh, in the rankings and uh, helps spread our message further. So guys, thanks again for tuning in. Today, I'm bringing out an interview that I did with Dr. Stan Steindl. He's a clinical psychologist and director of psychology consultants, PTYLTD. So it's a a company here in Australia, so helping people um, with behavioral change. Um, Really fascinating conversation. He's also an adjunct professor at the University of Queensland here and um, working on a bunch of different things. But what he's really interested in at the moment is motivational interviewing, which I didn't really know much about, but we talk about it thoroughly. He gives us a few clear steps on what it is and how it works. Um, and it's just very bloody insightful. I really enjoyed it, guys, and I hope you do too. He's also offered, uh, if you want to reach out to him and ask him further questions, you can. So, guys, enjoy this interview with Dr. Stan Steindl. Cheers. G'day, Stan. Welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. Glad you could make it on the show. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Yes, it is good morning. We're both in Australia. That's uh, very That's odd. True. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually interviewing people in the States, mate. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Looking forward to um, discussing the topic of... Um, motivational interviewing today with you. Now, I have, as I just mentioned in the pre-interview discussion we had, I have no idea about what motivational interviewing actually is and how it relates to your field of work because you're a, a, a psychologist by trade, are you not? Yeah, that's right, clinical psychologist just yeah. here in private practice in Brisbane, Australia. Mm-hmm. You also work closely with the, the University of Queensland, I believe? Yeah, part of the uh, School of Psychology at UQ and part of the UQ Compassionate Mind Research Group, along with James Kirby, who I think you might have interviewed a few weeks ago. Yes, we James came on the show and we had a great conversation about compassion, and I know um, it's, a, it's a field that your uh, research in, in, is involved in as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we'll... we'll um, I mean, I, I found com- compassion completely amazing and the conversation with James amazing, um, but I thought just to differentiate ourselves a little bit today, we'd talk about the motivational interviewing stuff um, but how long have you been in your practice, Stan? Oh, I've, I've been working here at Psychology Consultants since January 1999. In fact, we had um, our wow. 20-year anniversary this year, which was yeah, cause for, for great celebration and, yeah. and um, equal parts, you know, exciting and terrifying, to be honest, to be, you know, time What's time terrifying? Passes. Oh, the, the time to, passing? Yeah, 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 you know. Time flies. It certainly does. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with the uh, the notion that time flies? I just breathe and yeah. <laughs> keep breathing and, and let that go and and sort of you know kind of well just sort of really stay focused on some of these 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 interesting topics. You know how to be um, most helpful 
you know, for people, how to sort of bring compassion and motivation together and see if, if there's a way to, to sort of, um, you know, marry those two kind of areas actually is, is probably where I'm really interested at the moment. But okay. certainly motivation interviewing is, is a big part of that. Yeah, well, I was sort of intrigued by the, um, the interrelatedness between motivation and compassion and how those two do connect, so we'll certainly go there. Mm. Uh, I mean, with your field of work, you obviously deal with a lot of people every day, I assume, trying to help people um, recover from whatever trauma they might be going through, the challenges in life. Um, but you also spend a lot of time, you know, researching, studying and, and, you know, pursuing those passions as well. How do you find, uh, and this is more of a personal question, but how do you find the balance of the two and um, I guess your own motivation to keep doing what you do? I think the two of them really uh, work well together. In fact, I've, I've always sort of had four kind of elements uh, that I, I find is really useful to keep in balance. There's yeah. definitely the clinical work and, and you know, trying to to work with people around change and, and helping them to make the kind of changes in their lives that really are in sort of all about their own well-being. Uh, but then I also really enjoy doing supervision and working with other psychologists or social workers or other kind of mental health professionals and, and sort of supervising some of their work or just offering where I can sort of ideas about, you know, what they can bring into their own practice. And then the third bit is is sort of training and running workshops and, and especially on the topic of motivation interviewing, running a lot of workshops in that area. And then the fourth is is the research and that's the bit that I've luckily had the, the pleasure of getting more involved with more recently. Um, hmm. And uh, I think that the research can really help with the practice because we start to sort of dig deeper into, you know, the, the, the various topics and the understanding around that. And so they, they all sort of... And it's always I evolving, have, or too, in that regard. So I suppose it's always you, have evolving. To, you have to stay up to date. And... It's always evolving, but it, it also just kind of, you know, they, they balance each other, I think, and, and they contribute. The, the clinical work certainly informs the research and vice versa. Hmm. And how do you find the balance um, sort of juggling all that in your, in your day-to-day life? Well, that's that's what it, I think that's what it does. I, I can, you know, sort of I, I have my Mondays, which is my university day type of thing, and then the Tuesday to Friday is some clinical work and, and workshops and, and that sort of thing. And okay. Yeah, it, it really provides a, a very nice balance. So good structure, good routine. Lucky. Yeah, very yeah. grateful for that, that chance to have a, a number of things in, in my work life. Are there are there certain practices or, or ways you operate day to day to help you run that way and and keep that harmony? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I, I um I, I am a fairly structured person work wise. Oddly, I'm a relatively unstructured person outside of work, uh, but certainly my working week is is you know on the hour pretty much and and so there's there's definitely it's interesting structures around there yeah yeah so you're um, very structured during the the work week but then switch off time yeah i think that's it yeah, yeah okay that's right although I, i've had to recently just this year i've had to start to bring my own motivational interviewing to myself and trying to uh you know get up at six o'clock in the morning and go to personal training which is my latest <laughs> little achievement um, trying to kind of keep a little bit of balance from the exercise point of view as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's always interesting when you apply your own techniques to yourself. Play. Somehow, <laughs> somehow I, I, know what I'm, I, I know what I'm doing <laughs> to myself and so it's not quite the same but 
nevertheless, yeah, motivation and trying to really commit to things, it's tricky. It's tricky for everyone. You know, it's hard for me and probably you and everyone to, to really uh, make changes and commit to them and, and actually take action. Does a lot of the, the motivation to your research and your work come from sort of self-fulfillment, like trying to resolve certain challenges you're having yourself? Well, I think I, I really, def- I, I definitely draw on those sort of experiences. I mean, you know, behaviour change is difficult. Mm. Uh, it's difficult for everyone, and we we all know, in a way, what's perhaps best for us or what we should be doing. Or you know, everyone knows that exercise is great, and you know, maybe drinking too much is not great, or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some of the usual suspects there, and 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 yet we all find you know change difficult and so I think that has been a a big part of it for me is just being able to uh, really relate to that notion and trying to explore ways that help people kind of resolve some of the the challenges there and and do what they know themselves is is kind of you know going to be really helpful for them. So when we when we look at sort of your field of work and the people that you help it's really and I could be wrong in this but it's really about focusing on helping them change their behaviors so they can help resolve those challenges or issues they're having? Yeah, so there'll often be certain certain dilemmas or certain areas of ambivalence or people feel feeling two ways about certain steps to take. You know, there'll there'll be some arguments for change, maybe, that, that they'll feel like, oh yeah, that's a good reason to perhaps do this. But then there'll often be some sort of arguments against change as well. There'll be things that make them feel like it's not such a good idea. And so often in my work, it, you know, we're, especially with motivation interviewing, we're trying to kind of explore that ambivalence with people and start to understand it better and, and not get too caught up in telling them what to do or, or fixing it for them or let alone being too directive or pushy with change but rather just helping them to explore and perhaps even resolve some of that ambivalence that, that they might feel about you know, what to do next. Okay. Well, I can see where compassion comes into to what you do. Mm. What, what, how do you define this, this topic of motivational interviewing? Well, it really is about uh, helping people to explore and resolve ambivalence. It's, okay. it's about trying to... Um, use language, especially certain types of of what we've what they call change talk. Uh, change talk is is a is a person's own kind of arguments for change. So it's really about trying to be evocative and explore um, a person's change talk, and then perhaps arriving at a commitment. Uh, you know, sort of defining what it might be that the person will actually do next to. To um to get towards some sort of behaviour change. Okay, so it's it sounds to me like it's encouraging self inquiry. Beautiful, yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely a process of facilitating with a person self inquiry and exploration, and starting to think about these arguments for and against change. Okay. So does it always need to be? Facilitated, does it always need to be an interviewer or can it be interviewing yourself? Fascinating question. I mean, a motivational interviewing is, is a lot about um, the 
clinical or counselling kind of scenario. And in fact, that, that's one of the things that's really useful about what we affectionately call MI, which, which is that actually for, it's, it's not just for psychology or even just for mental health, but, you know, a whole range of professionals can take this approach um, to their work. And, and so whether it's, um, you know, physios or dentists or, or you know, doctors or um, a whole range of different uh, professionals can use this interviewing style to help their patients or clients to kind of explore that ambivalence and resolve that ambivalence in the direction of change. Um, mm. But it, 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 there, are a, there are a few key questions, I think, that any given person might be able to just ask themselves or reflect upon uh, and, you know, kind of explore their own motivation uh, for change, you know, quite independently as well. Yeah, well, I suppose the interviewing process is all about searching or seeking out further information for further answers. And whether you interview yourself because there's chit-chat going on in the mind, then that's what you're doing there. You're searching out your own information and answers within. Um, is the motivational part, is that trying to motivate um, people to start searching that and, and asking those questions? Or is it more about asking them enough questions to give them the motivation to create the change? Uh, the, the, the original developers, Bill Miller and Steve Rolnick, yep. um, they wrote the, the book originally and, and there's, there's actually a third edition of that book now that is available for people if they're interested, motivational interviewing, helping people change. But, but Bill Miller describes a really nice metaphor for mm -hmm. this and, and that is that, that really the way we might see people is, is that they... They, they kind of have these these deep wells, and at the bottom of the well there might be sort of I guess water and maybe a bit of slush and mud and frogs or something like that. But there are also these kind of pearls, these pearls of motivation, um, self wisdom, uh, and so on. And so, really, in motivational interviewing, the job is about bringing those pearls of of motivation to the surface. Uh, the idea is less about us motivating the person or giving them the motivation and much more about evoking and bringing to the surface their own motivations that, that right. are already held within them. That makes uh, sense. Some, yeah. Sometimes the difficulty with doing it for oneself is sort of what you said, and that is that you know, we're, within us we often have quite a jumble of thoughts and feelings and urges and motivations, and it's, it's, it's sort of, it can be difficult to, to differentiate all that and, and unpack it. Um, and part of the, the real benefit of, of motivational interviewing and, and doing it with a, a, another person is just literally through the conversation and the verbalising of things, it starts to achieve much more of that of that unpacking. Uh, the, when, when the person is talking about their various thoughts and feelings about um, motivation for change and the, the interviewer is able to really deeply listen and reflect and help with, with clarification and understanding, then the person kind of arrives, I guess, at their own motivation and commitments out of, out of that process. Mm. 
Yeah, okay. So just on that topic, because I mean, I always see um, and I've been to myself through events, you know, motivational speakers will come on the stage and fill you with this motivation, you go away and then uh, a couple of weeks later, it's all gone. And that feels like it's an extrinsic, you know, sort of motivation that comes in and and disappears and doesn't really, it might bring about some level of intrinsic motivation for a short term, but doesn't really keep it there. So is is this yeah. necessary for motivational interviewing to keep going back to have that facilitation to allow those pills to come to the surface until the point where they're just always there and you're always motivated? Well, yeah, well, um, a really nice sort of saying that we, we use in motivational interviewing is I know what I believe when I hear myself speak. And that's really at the heart of this, that if, if people are themselves uttering the words of motivation and commitment, then that's much more powerful and much more likely to be sustainable hmm. uh, than if someone else is, you know, trying to G them up or, you know, convince them yeah. of some sort of change. Uh, so I, I feel that that's, that's really, you know, kind of at the heart of this is, is that the people are actually expressing the, the, their own arguments for change themselves. They've convinced themselves now. So when they, when they, hmm. they, and they've created that belief. So when they leave, they're, they're, you know, in the, now in their mind, they're kind of like, you know, oh, well, you know, I've, I've committed to that now. I, I, I need to get, go do it. Uh, and it, it sort of has that, that self-accountability or something. Yeah, there's a self-accountability. There's a sort of they've, they've kind of convinced themselves. They've actually spoken the words that really uh, express the reason to, to do this and the need to do this and so they they um sort of it just ups the chances that they're more likely to go away and do it and change the behavior yeah Um, yeah, i mean it's not it doesn't guarantee anything of of course but but i think that's the that's the mechanism in motivational interviewing is is the way that people are really speaking their own arguments for change and and kind of in a sense um convincing themselves about all of this yeah, yeah. Well, I certainly, um, you know, have that that level of motivation within about certain things, and and I go forward, you know, for a, a good period of time, and then something slips, and then suddenly mm. that motivation's not there. Um, mm. And I'm sure that's the case with a lot of people where you have oh, yeah. there's this there's this belief within, and you you know that you know what you need to be doing, like you said earlier, but there's not the follow through. There's not the 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 pure execution of it. Yeah. And, you know, as we said earlier, you know, behavior change is difficult. And yeah, um, yeah. I, I remember I was, uh, I went to Townsville, I think it was, to do a, a workshop on motivation interviewing. And I, I arrived at the airport and this, uh, the taxi driver, you know, picked me up and was taking me into the city. And, and he asked what I was doing there. And I thought, oh, well, I'll tell him. So I started to talk about, you know, this idea of motivational interviewing or whatever, and, and at one point he, he sort of says to me, you know, people don't like change. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, it's pretty my true. goodness, yeah, that's the taxi driver wisdom, you know, like that's exactly true. People, people don't like change, whether it's, you know, changing the, the side of the bed that we sleep on or the way that we go to work or, you know, the path we take here or there. We're, we're sort of, we are kind of creatures of habit sometimes and, and I think in some ways, you know, change can mean sort of, you know, uh, the unknown and the unknown means danger. And so we often, yeah, yeah, so we'll often stick with what we know, even though we also know that it might not be good for us. 
but there are there, there's something about you know the familiarity of that which which is pretty it's hard to shift on that um, and so um, it, you know it's, it's really understandable that that people find those sorts of things kind of difficult in, in many ways it is about creating a different familiarity I suppose so, so that when we do make these changes you know gradually we, we've, we build the confidence to, to persist with that and the courage to persist with that and and then eventually that becomes the new familiar yeah I guess it's very objective based on you know what what the change is that you're you're trying to achieve whether it's an addiction or whether it's just your morning routine what time you get up you know there's two very different things there there are definitely different factors at play out there. So for addiction, you know, there are a whole range of, well, psychological and physiological aspects to that which, which, are, which become part of the ambivalence yeah, yeah. that the person might feel. Um, Interesting stuff. Where do, we, where, where do you begin then in talking about motivation interview? I mean, I guess we've just had a conversation about what it's all about, um, but where do we start um, the process of, of learning some of these techniques perhaps to help myself or the listeners out there um, incorporate some of these these techniques to our lives? Well, there's, there's probably um, three key, sometimes I think of, of three key elements that, that we would want to um, incorporate into to MI. The, the first is what they call the MI spirit. Um, and what, yeah, what that's to do with is is really the the relationship relationship context that we create with a, with another person, or, or perhaps with ourselves, if if we're thinking of it in those terms. But um, really, the, the the MI spirit it, it is about creating a sense of collaboration and partnership. You know that we're working on this together. Uh, it's about creating a sense of, of the person being deeply accepted and even respected in terms of their choices and their autonomy to make those choices. Uh, it's a bit about, it is about compassion. It's about really trying to have your heart in the right place and, and be working with the person uh, in service of you know, their own well-being. Mm-hmm. And it's about a spirit of evocation. In other words, that's really that bit about Ask, not tell. You know, with with motivation, it's it's very much about asking, exploring, inviting the person to to speak about you know change from their own perspective, rather than slipping into that kind of what they call the writing reflex, where yeah. we we slip into this urge to fix people and we try to tell them what to do. And and actually, what happens then sometimes is the person just starts to resist us. Mm. Yeah, they, they start to push back, and now all of a sudden we've got discord in the relationship. So, um, yeah, partnership, acceptance, compassion, and evocation. Those are the four key elements of, of the, the spirit. The, so the MI spirit, right, okay. MI spirit, yeah. That's really creating the environment for that, for the next it's, steps, basically, that, that exactly. environment of trust and, and comfort and, yeah, collaboration. Hmm. Yeah, and, and really the key element there is to engage the person in a way that they feel heard and understood and that they feel safe Yeah, uh, because a whole bunch of other things can then start to happen. But the, really the first, first element there is, is for a person to feel safe. And, and I think that relates to what you were sort of curious about before, you know, that, that, that this whole idea of, of change and the unknown and uncertainty and, 
and you know it, it can be uh, sort of threat activating to think about making some of these changes, sometimes even small changes, but certainly in areas like addiction or, or other things like that. Yeah, it can that's feel, interesting. Feel, yeah. feel, feel scary to make a change. And so the first thing we want is for our relationship to, to, to kind of create that sense of safeness. And see, I feel there when you were talking before about that, that uncertainty and people don't like change, in some parts of me, I actually really love change. I thrive on change and perhaps that's yeah. why I jump around a lot too because I, I just love going out there and having that, oh, what's next, you know, it's, it's that novelty yeah. of that. But then there's certainly things in my life where I know that I find very difficult to change because of that comfort and that familiarity, yeah. Yeah, actually that's, that's a great point. You know, like it, it, it can sometimes be just this, you know, like you're working with someone and it's kind of like if they just change this one bit you know, their whole life would be sort of different for them. And, and yet that's the sticking point, you know, for them. Let, let's explore that. What what's the what are the two sides there for them about just that one piece? And and rather than getting frustrated with them and trying to make them change it, we create this MI spirit where they they feel they feel safe to, to start to explore that and explore both sides. Yeah, well that that provides quite a bit of clarity around, you know, what change you're happy to move towards and what change you're very uncomfortable about and perhaps it's because you don't have that that mi spirit that you don't have that that feeling of trust um mm. that feeling of collaboration maybe it's you know like addiction must feel very isolating and like i can't really tell anyone about this this is you know um it affects my self-worth and, and how i feel so i have to keep it very enclosed and then therefore there's not that environment of trust and um you know you've got to stick to what you know then yeah, no, I think that's really nicely said. In fact, often for, for some people where they're, you know, perhaps it is an addiction or, or they're sort of needing to change, everyone else around them is telling them what to do, is getting frustrated at them, is, is sort of pushing them and, and, you know, and so on. And, and so, uh, you know, they're already feeling potentially a bit set upon about that. Yeah. Um, and then within themselves... Uh, and this is often a danger with sh- with um, change, is that within themselves, there's a sense that they know themselves that they perhaps need to do this, and and we, we we're wanting to be very careful with with the shame that can go along with that. Yeah. And so we want to have a relationship where they, the, the last thing we want is for them to feel shame because shame just makes us hide away and and not you know not do anything differently. Mm. Uh, so the MI spirit Very really true. is is all about creating that relationship where people feel safe enough to even go there, to even have these conversations. The second bit is, um, and this is a part of MI that I really value, and, and that is it, 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 we listen out for certain language. So we, we really we start to work with the psycholinguistics of change where certain things that a person might say actually starts to predict what they might go on to do. And there's a whole range of uh, research around the, the, um, the, the predictive nature of, of certain, of certain um, change-related language. Okay. Uh, we, we, we talk about change talk, which I, I mentioned earlier. And, and change talk is when people – there's four different main components to it. One is – when people it is desire change talk, so this is when people talk about what they'd like to do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's putting aside how to do it or when to do it or whether to do it. It's just that sort of aspirational piece or desire of what they would like to change. 
the, the next bit is ability change talk. So this is when people do start to talk about how they might change or what might work for them or even kind of how confident they are uh, that they could do this. The third one and an important one is reasons change talk. And this is where we start to explore with the person what would be their main reasons to do this? What would be good about change? What mm. would be the benefits you know, for them? Not what we think would be the benefits for them, but let's see if we can evoke what they think the, the benefits would be for them. And then the fourth one is is need. And this is really starting to explore, okay, so there's, a, there's those bunch of reasons. What really makes change important to them? You know, what are the values that they hold um, and, and how might the current behaviour be discrepant from those values? Yeah. And how might change help us to get closer to our own values? So we really start to talk Sounds about... Sounds very much like NLP sort of processes. Right. There, there can be lots of crossovers with these things. And, yeah. and with MI, we're really exploring you know, this desire, ability, reason and need for change. And always in that order? Actually, no. That, that's, I think that's a handy acronym. That, that, that's basically done, um, and that's how we sort of try to remember the four different components. But actually, it can happen. <laughs> okay. It can happen in any in any. I think it's just, um, for example, often actually, if anything, it, it often goes desire what I'd like to change, reasons why I'd like to change it, need what makes it important, and then yeah. ability how would I go about it. But that's a very difficult acronym to pronounce. You know, Druna. It just yeah. doesn't roll yeah. off the tongue so well. But, um, but yeah, so, but it can happen in any order. The, the main idea is if people do talk about what they'd like to change, why they'd like to change it, what makes that important and how they go about it, then they, it sort of moves them to just being you know, a, a hop, skip and a jump now from maybe committing to actually making a change. That, that's the idea of change talk is it just really prepares people to, to kind of consider that idea of, of making a commitment. So this step two, you talked about MI spirit. This is MI change talk, is it? Or MI, is there a, a term that you use? Yeah, sometimes I think about it as the mechanisms of change. Okay. Um, the mechanisms being this, this sort of psycholinguistic stuff, the, the change language um, and the idea that the change talk yeah. uh, is, you know, helps to prepare people for commitment. Of course, we also have the flip side, which is they, they call it sustained talk, which is really when people make certain arguments against change. You know, so they might have the you know, desire, ability, reason and need to stay the same and to not make those changes. Right. Uh, and so in many ways, that's exactly what we're doing is we're trying to help people to explore sort of navigate and gradually resolve those two sides, the, the sustained talk side, which is their arguments against change, and we sort of accept and validate that side, and then the change talk side, which becomes their arguments for change, and we start to explore and kind of guide towards the change talk side. So you need really to encourage more change talk over Sustained talk, and I can certainly relate. There's a lot of sustained talk that goes on in my life where I go, oh, well, even exactly. change talk there, you know. We, we don't want to sort of bring limits around sustained uh -huh. talk because they're often very legitimate points as well. Uh, we want to validate that side. We want to sort of accept and validate that. It's just that we also then want to help 
people gently move towards exploring the change talk side as well. So, for example, a person might say, you know, oh, I, I can't be, I can't make myself be more sort of mobile or do any exercise because the last thing I want is the pain to get worse. Now, we might know that the physio has told us that actually if they did get a bit more mobile, the pain might actually get a bit better because, you know, that, that's part of, you know, the, the sort yeah. of the physio kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. So we might, there might, the sustained talk might not be technically correct, but it's still their legitimate fear. And so we want to try to be able to, to right. validate that, that that is the fear. Uh, if we try to argue against that and we, and we say something like, yeah, but the physio said that you need to and that that'll make your pain get better, then all we'll get back from the client is they'll say, yeah, but what if it doesn't? You know, what if it gets – and then now we're in resistance and now we're and in you've probably, Yeah, probably made that worse, the, the fear. We're, we've We've made a, we've made change less likely. Yeah, you yeah. know when we get there's a lot of. So how do you manage now. that? Like, how do you manage um, you know validating that, but trying to encourage the other perspective? Or yeah, it's there's really a lot of advanced MI is advanced listening. So we're using very uh, you know kind of careful and considered listening skills. So we might say you know um, you know one of the things that scares you most about being mobile is the idea that it would make your pain pain worse. And they go, yeah, I mean, it, what if it made my pain worse? It's already, I already can't, almost can't cope with it. And, and you kind of like say, yeah, it, it feels very, very frightening and, and, and already it's difficult to cope with. And then you might say, what about the flip side? I mean, what what might be some of the benefits of, of making a little bit of a chain in, change in your life? And they might say, well, my wife, would really like to walk with me. Oh, tell me more about that bit. So there's this process of very gentle but careful listening so that we reflect and, and validate that sustained talk side and then with gentle curiosity we start to sorry, the sustained encourage talk and side. motivate some change talk. Yeah. Change talk side. Yeah, it's it's, mm. it's a little dance. They they often talk about MI being kind of like a dance in, in that um, uh, we're sort of you know, not getting into struggles yeah. with people, but yeah. rather just with 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 um, respect and, and and curiosity, we explore these two things. In fact, that's the third area. Just to, to sort of move to there, yeah. I guess is is um, the the core skills of MI, uh, and there's there's four core skills really, and and that is open questions. Um, you know, asking open questions that are evocative and help people to explore and elaborate. Um, affirmations, which is really noticing and reflecting the strengths and qualities that the person might have within them and that they could bring to this change. Uh, the third is is good reflective listening, doing reflections of, of meaning and feeling around the person and, and creating empathy out of all of that. And then summaries, providing, you know, good summaries, especially summaries of change talk. Um, mm. One of the one of the other nice Bill Miller metaphors is that every time a person says a bit of change talk, it's like they're giving you a flower. And our job as the MI therapist is to sort of collect all these flowers up and then at some point um, in the form of a summary, we give them back a bouquet. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. 
isn't yeah. it? But um, <laughs> uh, but that's the idea of summaries, that we collect up these these very important bits of change talk and we kind of create this, this sort of case for change. It's their case or their argument for change and we reflect it back to them. But so that, that becomes a conversation really. We, we have the MI spirit that wraps it all up, but within the MI spirit we're having the conversation of the the, the, the person themselves with their you know, change talk and sustain talk and working through that and arriving at commitment. And then in the, on the therapist side or the interviewer side, uh, we've got the core skills and the, the open questions, affirmations, reflections and summaries. And that's really the conversation is between those kind of bits. So is that summary, um, obviously wrapping up um, the conversation of the interview or the, the, mm. the day, is it summarising and putting forward a, a call to action or is it just summarising yeah. and letting them motivate themselves to the right call to action? No, 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 you, you've got it. The, the um, you know, you might sort of say something like, you know, you'd, you'd really like to start doing some exercise. And, and the big reason for that is the doctors talk to you about, you know, your blood pressure and it's a bit elevated. And, and, and actually the last thing you want to do is take blood pressure medication. And this is really important for you because you want to be there for your kids. You want to be able to be active and involved in their lives. And, and you feel like one thing you that might be helpful in terms of exercise is if you found someone perhaps to walk with, then you could start, you know, doing some, some regular walking as a way to get started. So, Leaving here and, and, you know, over the next few days or this coming week, what will you do about starting some exercise? So you, you try to kind of, it, that's called a, a sort of a commitment question where you, you just, you're just inviting the person to make a, 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 an actual commitment towards next steps. Mm, that's um, good. And, yeah. and you'll, no, you'll notice there that the language changes. You know, it's not more, no, no longer is it, what would you like to do or what could you do or what should you do? It's now what will you do? So the language of commitment is kind of, you know, brought into that next open question. Mm. Uh, and so sometimes they'll say, well, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> or whatever. And, and that means let's, let's do a bit more exploring. But yeah. sometimes they'll say, well, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll, 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 call, I'll call John and see if he wants to, you know, start doing some exercise. So there's a little commitment there that we, we often really work towards, you know, strong commitment around a more modest change goal than sort of less strong or even weaker commitment about the whole change. And yeah, then we yeah, just yeah. start to like you know, build upon it like that. And I yeah. like that. The whole process is all about, you know, really, you know, asking those those questions and I mean, you've said it all in those last four points, affirmations and good reflective listening uh, yeah. and then the summary as well. But again, it's bringing about that internal motivation to to create change, um, yes. which I think exactly. is, is obviously the most powerful thing for anyone because yeah. I know that extrinsically uh, yes. nothing in my life has ever motivated me sustainably for a long period of time. It's always been yeah. intrinsic factors that have intrinsic. pushed me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's that's a good pickup. That, that actually, that's a lot of what this is. This is about is to see if we can bring to the surface those intri- intrinsic motivational factors. Yeah, exactly. mate, brilliant conversation, Stan. I know we're both limited for time today, so we'll wrap it up there. But um, thanks for coming on and sharing. That's just yeah, it's a really captivating talk and a lot in there. Um, yep. How can people best reach out to you, Stan, if they're interested in, in looking at more of your work and, and reaching out, perhaps ask you further questions. 
Yeah, well, I'm certainly happy for people to email me. Yeah. And um, so my email address is stan at psychologyconsultants.com.au. Yep. Uh, but also happy to, to kind of connect on LinkedIn or Twitter or, or um, I have a, a Facebook page as well. So there's a, there's a few different ways to, to, to sort of connect if, if anyone's interested. I'd love to, love to hear from anyone. Yeah, well, look, I'll stick the link um, to the website there, um, psychologyconsultants.com.au in, in the show notes and the link to your page as well in particular. Um, and then from there, people can sort of research and Google you and find out more information Definitely. about your research. So that's cool. Look, uh, thanks again, Stan, for coming on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries, guys. Check, check it out at thehiddenwhy.com, episode 807. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon